You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Halloween. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on a Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night and has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Dad, look out! The bus crashed. Mom, what bus crashed? Michael escaped. Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello? for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out! Go home! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman. He's here! Michael! You should. Can you close the closet door? All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for David Gordon Green's Halloween, and the story is as follows. It's been 40 years since Laurie Strode survived a vicious attack from crazed killer Michael Myers on Halloween night. Locked up in an institution, Myers manages to escape when his bus transfer goes horribly wrong. Laurie now faces a terrifying showdown when the masked madman returns to Haddonfield, Illinois. But this time, she's ready for him. The film is starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Andy Matichak, Will Patton, Virginia Gardner, and Nick Castle. It is directed and written by David Gordon Green and co-written by Jeff Fradley and Danny McBride. Joining me for this review, I have Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. Celia Shalekaway. Hi there. And Ryan C. Showers. Hi, everybody. All right, everyone. So... The 2018 film Halloween, not to be confused with the 1978 version from 40 years ago. I am going to uh, preface by saying, uh, for the record, that I myself did not get a chance to refresh on any of the movies before watching this. So what I would like to do before we dive into our thoughts for the 2018 version is I'd like to go around the horn and ask everyone what their experience has been like with the franchise so far heading into this new film, the 11th installment in this franchise so ryan 
you <laughs> recently did a post for nextbestpicture.com actually ranking all of the Halloween films. So why don't we start off with you? Okay. Well, thank you, Matt. And I think this is a great way to start the review and to usher in, um, to give some background on the series before we move on to um, the new movie, because I think our perspectives are varied when it comes to the series. And so I think that will influence how we interpreted the film. So I grew up with horror movies. I It's funny, I grew up, the first movies I ever saw whenever I was in elementary school were the Scream movies, which is ironic because they're about other horror movies that I hadn't seen. And Halloween is heavily featured in Scream. So that was my first like real introduction to the, sl- the slasher genre and um, the horror genre at large. And um, so I grew up with uh, especially the, the three Jamie Lee Curtis movies, which are Halloween, Halloween 2, which was in 1981, and Halloween H2O, um, which was in 1998, which this new Halloween film is probably the most comparable to. And so I'm a massive fan. I've seen those three that I just listed um, dozens of times. I've seen the the series itself probably once or twice, full you know one to one to ten. Um, I think the films are varied. Um, there's something good in each of them, but I think Jamie Lee Curtis her films ele- are elevated just a little bit above the B the B movie um, bin that some of the other sequels are in. So, um, but I love the original. I think it's a masterpiece. And I really love Halloween H2O, which came out in the era of Scream. Uh, and, and, and I think it was influenced. Um, Laurie Strode's character development in H2O was influenced by Sidney Prescott in Scream in her character development. And I think that's why the film is so strong. And um, that's, that's my background. Okay, Katie. So I, uh, like Ryan, my introduction to slasher films was with Scream. Uh, but I was... 12 13 around then uh which was right after they came out and but i didn't ever actually watch halloween until a couple years ago i finally you know saw my list forever i finally sat down and i've seen the first two and then never followed up on it uh but i love jamie lee curtis um as an actress and she is so fabulous in this. And I also really love John Carpenter films. And this is a John Carpenter film that launched him into being, you know, very well known. He did the music for it. And the music is what makes those movies. The first one wouldn't be what we talk about without that score. It tested badly with audiences until he did it. So until he rescored it. So I was really excited to see this one. And you know, I, I think that I have a good experience with it, but nowhere near the, you know, encyclopedic knowledge. Okay. Celia? So I have never seen a Halloween film previously to this. <gasps> Shocking. <laughs> um, I think the first slasher film I ever watched, and this just goes to show how, like, not in that community I am. Um, the first slasher film I ever watched was, I think, the, like remake of prom night oh god what was that like 2008 or something yeah that was like 2008 2009 and britney snow was in that yeah britney snow was in it fresh off of her john tucker must die fame so yeah i kind of watched that and i was like oh these aren't scary probably because that was a not like a great 
That was literally the worst introduction to the slasher genre. And I just never, I just never really went back to it. And so, yeah, I'm kind of like gonna look at this movie just as it is on its own and how it like invites people into the mythology. Cause there were, there were a bunch of, I could tell there were references Mm-hmm. even not seeing the source material. So it's kind right. of interesting. Yeah. And I'm in a unique situation where I actually learned something about myself watching the 2018 version of Halloween. What's that, Matt? I didn't previously know this at all. And that is, I do not like the slasher genre. Mm. And it took this viewing for me to actually realize that I've seen Nightmare on Elm Street. I've seen Friday the 13th. I've seen Halloween. I've seen Scream, you know, a bunch of others. But what I think this film taught me about myself is that I much prefer the campy, self-aware slasher films like Hatchet or Scream, as we mentioned before. And there are a lot of genre tropes within the slasher genre that are in this movie that I was hoping that this movie would not do Mm -hmm. um, because it's a 2018 version, because it's being directed by David Gordon Green. But what the film does do for those that are fans of the genre is that it does harken back to the original 1978 version and other tropes of the Uh, slasher genre that people have embraced and loved for decades and it has fun with it but also tries to present it in a serious manner of course and there's other things about this movie i do like but i want to just start off the conversation around this new version by saying things like characters running away from michael myers and then tripping and falling or Mm -hmm. um really really dumb dumb decisions made by the characters that you know are leading to their death and you just say to yourself a sane person would not inspect you know that area where clearly the killer is and so on and so forth um there's and just bad dialogue um there's one line will mavity pointed this out on uh twitter he wrote i don't think i will hear a line as cringeworthy this year as i got peanut butter on my penis and There's just a lot of things like that in this where I thought to myself, this movie wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants to have it both ways where it wants to be silly and it wants to be goofy and fun. But at the same time, there are um, some elements to it that it's trying to present seriously. And unfortunately for me, I couldn't take it seriously. I think it's important to ask in a movie like this, what was your guys' audience like when you saw it? Um, well, mine, uh, I saw it like a seven o'clock preview on Thursday night and mm-hmm. it was, um, mostly younger people, some, some older people, um, that probably, you know, with how, literally with Michael Myers shirts on, but I mostly saw it with like, maybe like people in their twenties and, you know, it was, it, it wasn't a fun audience like other people yeah. described. Yeah. I saw it same time Thursday at seven and my audience was very not like they were into it as far as like they were paying attention but they weren't like having fun (laughs) there were three moments in the third act that my audience reacted to pretty strongly 
with claps and cheers and so on and so forth. But other than those moments prior to that leading up, um, there really wasn't any squirming, gasping, shouting. Um, there was a pretty mild crowd, all things considered. And it was pretty packed. You know, I saw it yeah. Thursday night at 7 p.m. It was the first showing. Um, I, I expected it to be a little bit more rowdy, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the most they ever did was gasp. Like there would, there were a few moments at the end where everybody gasped, but like my friend and I would be like, no, 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 no. And then every, like, you just felt like this pressure to be silent, which is kind of lame. Cause this is the kind of movie that you're like, you know, Matt, you say like, it's so frustrating to watch people trip and fall or like say, or like, you know, that they're not supposed to go in there. And I feel like that's kind of supposed to be part of the fun. But when you're supposed to like sit and take these choices seriously, it's a little yeah. bit like frustrating. But I look at something like Get Out, for example, which had tremendous audience participation for exactly those reasons of they're invested in the character and the character trying to survive and go through this ordeal. And it, it, it encourages audience participation, where with this, there's like one point where, for example, a character runs off of the road, which has headlights going down it, by the way, and instead runs to the side into the woods. And the audience mm-hmm. was like, why are you going into the woods? Like, it's dark. Yeah. You're going to hit a tree or something. That's stupid. <laughs> there were two instances of that. The first time she sees Michael when she runs away from the cemetery or the guy's house or whatever, and she goes... Right. And if you look past her, you can see that there's a cop car sitting there with its cherries going. And I'm just thinking, what are you what are you doing? Just go the go the other way. Nope. Oh, okay. This you didn't plan mm-hmm. it well because that cop car should not have been there. Now to, like with these examples, I, I believe that David Gord Green is a smart enough filmmaker to know what he is doing and that these are not Right. mistakes mm-hmm. they are deliberate choices to pay homage to the genre am i correct in saying this uh, i i don't I, i'm not sure i didn't think about it as sophisticatedly as that um because I, I i to be honest i would probably side with sloppiness and i think um david gordon green his focus was more on paying homage to certain memorable aspects of the original 10 films rather than the slasher genre itself for for me i've seen more like ghost scary movies than slasher films but i think that the problems exist in both kinds when i see issues like this you know dramatic irony is a thing you learn about it in your ninth grade english class right like the idea that the audience knows what the character should or shouldn't do and the character doesn't that's okay for the character to do things that the audience wouldn't do it's when they do things that like what they but what the character needs to do is the second best choice not the first best choice right to keep the tension mm-hmm. but then what they'll do to like rationalize it is they'll present the character with two options one good and one bad and they'll be like well they took the second best choice and it's like well you didn't give them a lot of choices <laughs> and right. i don't think i'll ever get over that frustration and that's why it makes it, you know, Matt, you said, like, you appreciate campy, like, self-aware horror. It's a shame when something comes off as self-aware. Like, because to me, I can look at this movie and be like, oh, they know that they're being ridiculous. But then, Ryan, if you say, like, no, like, that's not the Halloween brand. It's like, oh, well, then, whoops. And that's why I say, I, I guess I'm just not a fan of the brand then, if that's yeah, the case. Exactly. And, I, and I learned that about myself after emerging from the screening because... 
you know, what one thing, and I think we can all agree on this, what I really, really enjoyed about this movie a lot was everything surrounding Jamie Lee Curtis's character and the generational female empowerment that um, kind of was the thorough line through this movie with her daughter and her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. That was the best part. I think we can all agree that that is probably um, the most interesting, maybe the most interesting aspect of this movie. Um, if you find the camera work, the score, and other things uh, up there, that's fine too. But I, I that was that was the hook for me while watching this. Mm-hmm. Well, and can we just uh, I like so this this is the eleventh film in the series. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis has now played her five times, um, and what this film does it is it ignores it. It's meant to be a direct sequel to the original film. How do you guys feel about films like this coming out for 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 um, a paycheck, you know, and ignoring you know forty years of movies? Um, X Men kind of did it recently with resetting the timeline and erasing what? some of those sequels. <laughs> See, but here's the thing: is it is not just the first one. It also takes into account the second one. So that's all that everybody's it's been saying. It's just the original myth, yeah. Yes, the first two are the original story, and then they start going crazy with it in the third movie. But yeah, okay, that's... so yeah, that's how I kind of read it too. Is like they recognize that they went buck wild earlier, and they're like, okay, if we're ever going to revisit this story, we need to reset things. They also <laughs> are smart enough to know too that those are the ones that are most highly regarded, and the only ones that. Other than maybe Ryan <laughs> uh, and a few other people in this world, I'm not discrediting, but they're the ones that most people care about. Well, can and so the movie that Jamie Lee Curtis did 20 years ago called Halloween H2O really did a much better job of delving into her character development and her resolution. And actually, believe it or not, it shows there's more of a female empowerment with that film than there is with this film, even though this film is more on the nose about it. Um, mm-hmm. she, her storyline in H2O is so much stronger and it's developed better. She's really the center of that film. And it's it's just a, a better quality movie and ha- it, it should have ended with H2O. H2O ends in a very definitive way. I agree. And they, bring it, they, bring it, they bring it back with Halloween Resurrection in such a crappy, lazy way. And yep. it's just you know, endless. I mean, and like, I didn't think, I think, I thought Jamie Lee Curtis was great. I mean, she delivered on what I was expecting her to. Um, but I didn't think Lori's storyline was integrated into the randomness of the, the middle act where he's, you know, he's back in Haddonfield and he's killing all the, um, the babysitter and, um, he's in the cemetery with her granddaughter. I don't think she was as integrated into that storyline as well as she could have been. I th- I feel like there was a, a disconnect. And honestly, well, I, I, didn't... I think there's also like, uh, you know, Ryan, it's interesting because I know you love the Scream series. I kind of felt like the same way watching Scream 4 where they were trying to balance a new cast with the original yeah. old cast. And once again, they were just trying to have it both ways in that they wanted this to be a sequel, but also at the same time, let's try and set something up for the future with a new generation because... You know, Jamie Lee Curtis and Nick Castle, who uh, reprises his role as Michael Myers from the original film, they're both what in their seventies. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh no, Jamie. Oh, I'm sorry. That that's that's terrible for me to say. Jeremy Jamie Lee Curtis is fifty nine. Nick Castle's seventy one. Sorry. <laughs> well, 
But and I guess my big like uh, and like I didn't even think that Jamie Lee Curtis had enough screen time to even be considered a lead. I think this is an ensemble piece. I think the film lacks narrative focus. Like you know, the first thirty minutes are about these um, the journalists that you know the journalists go to the the prison to meet Michael Myers. <laughs> They go to meet her. They they drive really the first half hour of this movie. Then Jamie Lee Curtis kind of disappears in the in the middle of the film, and then it ends with her. And like the best part of um, her her big chase scene at the end is in every single piece of marketing for this film, where yeah. his hand comes you know through the through the window of the of the door. Yeah. And it was it's so frustrating that they wasted such an opportunity with this. And maybe this shouldn't have even existed in the first place. I mean, like. I don't know. I just I was disappointed by this movie after the hype because I, the hype really influenced my expectations and I thought, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis came back 20 years ago and made this, you know, great film of the time, incorporated the scream genre elements into it, had great character development. This is going to be like that. I mean, based on the reactions out of Toronto. And I feel like this is just a run of the mill Kind of thing, and to be honest, I thought Lori's like her reaction to what happened to her forty years ago was really to an extreme in this movie. I don't, it just, it didn't seem, it, I think it, it I, didn't seem plausible because no, ridiculous. Like even even at the very very end of the film, where there's um, kind of a reveal about the house in terms of like a trap, so to speak. There's no setup for that. It kind of comes out of nowhere. And by that point, I'm just like, okay, I kind of understand that this woman is very um, traumatized by this event that happened to her and she's been preparing her whole life for some some sort of final confrontation. But this is almost out of the realm of possibility in terms of rigging your house this much to be like, like, it just, it did come off as silly. I kept on wondering how much money she had. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like every single step of like discovering her house, and she shows you like a new trap that she set. And so m- maybe five or six times throughout the movie, I'm stopping and thinking, "Yeah, really? Where did she get all that money from?" Like, it was weird. House exp- house changes are very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I thought they didn't do. Um, I could see what they were going for in their portrayal of Lori, and I too felt I was like this is a little, little much at times. Um, and and for me in particular, like the the generational trauma that they were trying to show, and how some how such a horrific event in a young life can utterly change it to the point where it then affects their children and their grandchildren, and so on and so forth. Like you could. I at least could see like, okay, that's what we're going for here. Mm -hmm. But then it it just kind of drops that in favor of a more traditional slasher narrative and end. And that really disappointed me. I was really hoping that that would carry through because that would have made for a much more interesting movie. And they just dropped the ball. And not to mention too, like one of the hardest things about this movie, and you know, Ryan, you touched upon it a bit earlier, is that the film is so scattershot in terms of whose point of view we want to follow throughout the movie. You know, it starts off with the podcasters, then we're following Laurie Strode, then we're following Allison, and it just keeps on going all over the place. That when the kills start happening, and Michael's going on a rampage. I had maybe other than Lori, I didn't have any empathy yeah. for any of these characters 
like I, I I almost didn't like to me they were just disposable bodies at that point. All I cared about was Lori and Michael, and because that was the deep seated traumatic relationship that the movie has been building up to for you know as they say forty years, and there's a degree of importance behind that that's begging you to take that seriously, and everything else like like the dad for example. Um, I know he's supposed to be kind of an idiot in this, but, like, I didn't think he was, like, a bad guy or anything like that. And that's, like, one of those things where I, I just thought, like, certain – I just thought other characters should have just been more upset, and it doesn't even get acknowledged, and it's, like, it's weird. It's just really weird. <laughs> this is a rare movie that I think could have been longer. Like, I think the killing happened too fast, both, like, it happened too early in the movie, and also... Oh, see, now, like, I think they... I think it's, like, a half an hour until Michael kills somebody in this movie, isn't it? But, About, but the yeah. thing is, but they're trying to do, like... I have a lot of issues. <laughs> <laughs> and don't, don't even get me started on the, on the doctor in this movie. <laughs> well, no, we'll get there. But, like, for me, it's... Um, this movie couldn't decide what it wanted to be about in like a lot of different layers. Like it couldn't decide if it wanted to be a family drama or a slasher film. And so they tried to do both. And then the family drama, I think kind of was a little bit lackluster. Like there was a lot more there that they could have done that they chose not to do. And then like, even within like the themes, like it wanted, it was partially like female empowerment. It was partially like who is really worth redeeming in this world. The white, interesting serial killer or the crazy divorced woman right like like there was a lot of different stuff that they were like trying to cobble together to make this like i don't know overarching deep film then that shows in the fact that you don't care about who dies because Mm -hmm. he starts killing objectively pretty quick considering we're covering like three generations of people in 20 minutes And then, like, the kills themselves, like, when he goes to kill someone, it's, like, immediate. And I don't know if that was the way in the first Halloween movie, but, like, it's hard to care about someone when you meet them and five minutes later they die. Like, there's no... That's not what it was like. There's no... been a lot of time with Nobody escapes. Like, there's no near misses or anything like that. Like, there's no... There is one near miss, though, and I have to ask this question because I'm a little confused by this. Ryan, Katie, maybe you two can enlighten me a little bit. And this might be a spoiler. I don't know. But there is a moment in the movie where there is this really impressive tracking shot, which, Mm -hmm. you know, the original Halloween definitely um, popularized the use of the camera with tracking the killer. And David Gordon Green does a really, really great oneer in this movie that follows Michael going from house to house, taking Mm -hmm. victims. It's really, really impressive. Mm -hmm. But there's one part that just left me feeling like, wait, what? I don't get it. Why does he spare the baby? So, he doesn't kill kids. He, oh wait, that that, actually, well, but he does kill kids in this movie, though. Teenagers. Or, or are we not classifying teenagers as kids? Well, no, he's always not. killed teenagers. Yeah, they're children. For children are in, he walks past. He walks past a lot of trick or treaters too. Like, yeah, right. and that's established in the first one. No, he doesn't but kill little kids. Uh, but Matt, you're right. It, it was that was weird. Like the it was just random and probably could have been cut out and would have been a little less confusing. But the, the initial scene is actually um, like before he gets to the um, the baby. That is a homage to Halloween two. He where he's he goes into a house and um, a woman's making a sandwich. So that was clearly there for a reason. But 
the end of it was weird. I agree. I saw that shot and I just thought I want to watch Assassination Nation now because like because <laughs> they try to you know they do something similar of like the house invasion. Oh yeah, no, 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 absolutely, you're right. But I mean, you know, speaking of little kids for a moment, um, my favorite aspect of this movie is this little kid that's being babysat. <laughs> Um, and I don't remember his name in the movie, but he stole the whole movie for me, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> that, and, and I think that goes back to the self-referential comedy aspects of the genre that I like so much. And I love a smart, self-aware character who, <laughs> like, <laughs> just the lines that he had. It was When it, he runs me, out the house and tells Dave, you're going to die, Dave. <laughs> is gonna die that's yeah there was there was a line that he said oh my god i can't remember what it was but like he said dave at the end of it he like it wasn't that one but he was like you're an idiot dave or something like or shut up dave or something (laughs) like that and i leaned over to my friend and i was like when your name is like actually just an insult (laughs) (laughs) jabrail nan tambu i i I am probably saying that so incorrectly but Yo, kid, you saved the movie for me because <laughs> so yeah, I wanted a whole movie with that kid versus Michael Myers. I honestly think that kid would have killed Michael Myers. That's my belief. <laughs> no, nah, well, he would have. He would have run away first. He was. He was. The, some say he's still running down the street. <laughs> he was the not to get out because he got the hell out of that house. Uh, um, I do think that the that the directing was I think I think a lot of the problems with the film are in the writing. I don't think that there's much more David Gordon Green could have done as the director. I, I think agree. he he did well with the score and the oh. um, balancing the score and the 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 cinematography. Um mm. there were some interesting shots I thought um and aesthetically pleasing shots. Was anyone else surprised um actually in and just talking about David Gordon Green's direction here was anyone surprised by how little gore there actually was in this movie? I was. Um, no, I thought there was plenty. <laughs> oh, no. See, now, I and I wonder if this is because, once again, homage to 1978, this would be like an appropriate amount of gore for that period. But I think, like, maybe we've just become desensitized by how gory some horror films can get nowadays that I like a lot of the killings happen at night. There's a lot of strang- strangulation uh, that happens in this movie, too. And I just was very uh, taken aback by how much this movie seemed to withhold other than one scene that involves uh, a head um i i honestly i i was kind of like i said i was a little surprised by how muted mm. i thought it was yeah no i thought it was a lot i thought there was plenty <laughs> see i've it, the first one is even less like there's mm-hmm. so little gore in the first one it's but it's much scarier and much creepier yeah than this i would yeah i would imagine that like the, the the more carefully you use it, the more effective it is. You know, I would say the scariest moment in this movie might be um, uh, Laurie in the third act with the flashlight on the gun. Yeah. Kind of kind of reminiscent almost of um, Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Mind blown. I didn't th- I didn't put that together. Yeah, there's a good degree of tension in that scene that um, you're you're just waiting and waiting and waiting to see when is he coming? When is he coming? And, you know, it, <laughs> David Gordon Green, I think, does a good job in those sequences of ratcheting up the tension pretty well. I thought the finale of this was pretty well done, honestly. I know mm-hmm. it's going to be controversial for some folks, but that final scene 
and especially Judy Greer in that final scene, I was like, yes, they finally used Judy Greer and how she's supposed to be used. But what did you think, Ryan? I didn't like it. I, you know, finales are really where films need to land. Like, think about, like, H2O, the, um, her um, confrontation with Michael, that's a great finale. Like, the screen, all three screen movies, yeah. the originals, had great finales. I mean, like... Like this one, I feel like did not stick the landing. Like what Matt was just describing, the the Cleary Starling walking through with the you know the gun and the flashlight. That was all great. But then the from the minute he was finally revealed, I thought that was I thought that was a lame how he came out from behind the the mannequins. I thought that was lame. And then from there on, it was just lame. And like the way that it ended with him in the fire, and I, it just it did not pay off in any substantive way. I have a question. And this might be a little bit of a spoiler, although Ryan already says he comes out from behind the mannequins, so maybe Sorry, it's not that much of a spoiler. I wasn't even thinking. We're, we're, we're trying here, people. We're trying. <laughs> but uh, you're going to be surprised. Why like, she, no, why doesn't she just, and I thought this, because like she has this face of relief as she's walking up to that room, because she knows it's the last room, right? Like, that was how I read it. Was I yep. wrong to read it that way? No, um, that was how I read it, too. Why doesn't she just lock the door? Well, he would get out. Why and then does he have to? Would, no. Why doesn't she just lock the door and then run outside and get him from outside? Well, this is what I'm, this is what I'm talking about in terms of like th- these are decisions that we, you know, think are logical, insane, yeah. and so on and so on and so forth. But that's just not the genre. It's just, but no, Matt. That I, I and I agree with you. It's not the genre, but I think this is a bad example of the genre. It's the genre at its worst. I mean, you know, think of. I mean, movies. at its worst is strong. Prom night okay, 2008 yeah. exists. <laughs> no, that's my okay. entry point. This is the genre uh, uh, on a worse face. I mean, like, you know, okay. take movies like like Scream, where I know what you did last summer, and th- there are smarter choices and there's better writing, but I really think it's a writing issue. Like, you know, for instance, um, was it Judy Greer who kind of like falls down the ladder or he's pulling her leg at the end? Like, that yeah. was so no, lame. No, it's the daughter. The yeah, that daughter. was dumb. Right. Grand. Like, I thought that was, like, you know, so obvious and so, like, it just like, expected and just, like, you know, lazy, lazy writing. And, like, there's no way, I believe, I know Lori Strode, okay? I, I've spent years with this character. <laughs> there is no way she is going to buy that he, he, he is, he's, he's gone after what happened at the end. Like, yeah, no, you, you know, would shoot him in the head. Which is what I was totally expecting, by the way, and could have definitely have happened. And I don't know why. Everyone's shooting him in the shoulder. You know, and everything that too that this film like really established that kind of annoyed me a little bit um, is that he isn't some ghost, supernatural being, some mm-hmm. super villain. He's a man, and he can die. And so, so why not kill him? I don't know because this film has to, I guess, have sequels and has to continue. You know, they do the same exact lame ass ending that they do for all the Halloween movies. But did anyone here? I have to ask. Wait till the end. The final shot of the movie. The final shot before the credits. Mm hmm. Without 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 tipping into spoilers, did anybody read into that at all, in any sort of way, from a thematic standpoint? Um, I guess I'd have to know what you like. I guess you'd have to be specific for. Yeah, me, me too. There's yeah. a there's a final shot of the film on an object that a character is holding. Oh yeah 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 yeah. And I and I just started to think to myself, okay, is there 
like some sort of a commentary on trauma? Is there? Did anybody wait till after the credits? Uh, I did. So you heard, you saw what happened no. after the credits. Mm, well, I, I think maybe we're getting into too much spoiler territory there. So I would, I, yes, I think there's something to read into it. Is what I'm saying. But you know, Matt, what you just said about you know he's a man and he's killable. Like you know, why not like have a specific you know definitive like you know killing of him or leave it open not this like lame crap i mean like you know h2o she cuts his head off like i mean that is definitive that yeah that's you know i win you know and i this whole thing this almost seems symbolic to me of like um because i think the house is representative of Lori's trauma that she's carried with her for the last 40 years and I do believe that there is a little bit of a, you know, there's, they're trying to be thoughtful and deep with, you know, the symbol of the fire. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. I get it. But yeah. I mean, the cleansing. It, they blew up the hospital in Halloween, too. I mean, like which Jamie Lee Curtis was in and like he still didn't die. I mean, I don't know. I'm just I was just dis- I'm just disappointed by the lack of um, intelligent writing for all of the buzz and all of the hype around this. And like, you know, everyone's saying, oh, well, this is this big war, you know, between Lori and Michael, you know, that's been in the works for 40 years. Like, I just, I didn't, I don't buy it. I didn't buy into that aspect of the, that the film has been trying to, that the film's been promoted on, I guess. Well, I also think there's something to be said too for a midnight premiere with an audience that is, you know, really really anticipating this and it's directed by david gordon green jamie lee curtis is back there's a a degree of hype before the movie even premieres and then when it does premiere you know you 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 fall victim to festival hype i feel like and i think that that's what this film has done to a lot of people but at the same time i am going to lend over some leniency um to those who let me tell you, as Celia has pointed out, there are a lot worse ways that this movie could have gone, and there were a lot worse films out there. This is not, you know, by any means, uh, like, worst of the year material or anything like that. <laughs> no, absolutely. I would agree with that. So you, Matt just mentioned again, like, the hype in the trailer and all that stuff. And Ryan, you've mentioned it. And I know as someone who hasn't seen them, I obviously know of the characters and in that article <laughs> that just came out with Jason Bloom, he says that like Jamie Lee Curtis was instrumental in this movie, which is true. <laughs> she's like the main character, but she's not in it for that much. And she's not really the main focus and all of her best parts are kind of already advertised. I don't know. I just think that the whole idea, especially if you're going to say that this movie is female driven Mm -hmm. because of Jamie Lee Curtis, and then you're not going to put her in the majority of the film. That seems kind of off to me, especially because he says she was so like responsible with this. Like she was so responsible for the script and like on set, they said that on set, she was like always the one that they looked to for leadership. But can I just say too, like they, there was also this narrative around H2O when it was made. She was, you know, it was apparently Jamie Lee Curtis's idea. She went to Kevin Williamson, the writer of Scream, and was like, I, "You're going to write this, and I'm going to star in it." 
And, you know, so there's always this narrative around her whenever, you know, this is this is the second coming of this. And I don't know. I don't I don't think that there's as you can believe everything that's being said about it. I think it's part of a I think it's part of the branding of this film. Mm -hmm. And I think that they see it's like I think it's kind of their way to bounce back of what do you mean? We're not sexist for killing a ton of teenage girls in this movie. Like, um, we're actually good. (laughs) I think it's more. I think it's just trying to rev up the audiences who love the original and who love Jamie Lee Curtis and know associate her with the original. I think they're just trying to be like, oh look, see, I mean, this is the we're the real deal. We're not we're not in the B movie bin at Walmart. Mm-hmm. We're like you know awesome. You know we have Jamie Lee Curtis and she's really trying to make this great and she's influencing it. And I think that's what they're trying to do. And I I don't know. I think she probably was. I think I'm sure she helped with some decisions and some direction, but I don't think she was as involved in it as she was say in H2O where like her mother was in it, you know, from mm-hmm. psycho. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there were more Jamie Lee Curtis isms there. I feel like, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting, especially like with that, with all of the blowback from that interview and stuff like that. And that was like his one defense. And then I see this and I'm like, mm, not a, not a great defense, my dude. No, it's not because John Carpenter was also pretty instrumental in getting this made. Like I've read mm-hmm. quite a bit about it to do my review and he, I was fascinated to find out, okay, did how much of the score he wrote? And it turns out he was the one who brought the initial ideas for this and wanted and pushed and pushed to get it made. And he was, he was on set as a consultant. He did the score with his son and um, one other person. And so that was the sense I took away from it, reading interviews and all of that about mm-hmm. it was that Carpenter was the one who really pushed it and then got Curtis involved and the original The Shape, um, Nick Castle. So I liked that it was from the original like group. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it didn't it didn't feel like driven by Jamie Lee Curtis's character like the first one is. It's not as advertised, people. <laughs> well, can I can I give like can I just tell you guys how much of a dork I am? Whenever I was like as a little kid, I actually um, I, I timed J- um, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and Jamie Lee Curtis's performances in all three of their films, their slasher films. So mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis, from what I remember, had the most screen time of her three in H two O, and then the original, and then Halloween two, and they were all about thirty minutes, which is about a third of um, each of those films because they're about 90 minutes long. I bet she doesn't top off. I bet she tops off at 20 minutes in this film. Mm-hmm. Sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, that sounds about right. But regardless, I mean, I do think that there's, I think that, that this is an enjoyable film, but I don't think, um, I, I don't think it should have the Rotten Tomatoes score that it does. And like, I was thinking about this today. Like, you know, look at like, you know, Halloween H2O's a Rotten Tomatoes score compared to this Rotten Tomatoes score and just the general hype. Are we, is, are, is film criticism that desensitized compared to the 90s? I don't know. I just, something, I think nostalgia may be running wild. Who knows? I don't know. Are those your final thoughts, Ryan? Um, Those are my final thoughts. Six out of 10. Then let's pass it along. Final thoughts, Celia, and you're great out of 10. I kind of touched on it earlier, but I think thematically this movie is very scattered. I kind of, I feel like they should have made <laughs> almost like a, like a family drama with horror elements. Oh, like Hereditary? Well, don't get me started on Hereditary, my dude. Here Not we go. Cave. 
It's still the best <laughs> horror movie of the year. But yes, uh, it is. Like Hereditary, but without all the problems that Hereditary had. <sighs> shade. <laughs> Subtle shade. And also, I'm a little bit confused on their whole like commentary on masculinity. Oh yeah, all the men in this film are like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like even like I said, even the dad who's not, I guess, like a bad guy. He's just kind of lame. But he's that he's that trope of the I'm not a bad guy, but my actions still have bad consequences. Like I get what they were going for, but I felt like they needed to like fully commit to that and they didn't. So I feel kind of lukewarm on like No, I think they no, I think they fully did commit to it. I just think it's cheesy they didn't and deliver it, it, yeah. it it doesn't land the no, mark and said it's didn't awkward. They deliver anything meaningful. They were just like and also the men are bad and we're like big surprise. <laughs> So what's that? The killer is also a man. Anyways, the point <laughs> is, I feel like thematically it was a little bit all over the place. So as a film, as like a piece of art, I don't necessarily know if I love it, but it was a fun enough watch. And like, it was just scary enough where like I was spooked in the theater, but like not so scary that I was like going to die when I got back to my apartment. And I don't know, it was a fun little Halloween fun thing. And I probably won't remember it in a month. <laughs> and my score would be probably like a 7 out of 10. It was fine. It was good. I would I would recommend seeing it in a theater. I would recommend seeing it in a theater where there will be teenagers who talk. I've never recommended that before, but I would for this. Wait, why? Just because like I think if you're seeing it with a bunch of mid 20s people, like we were we were lamenting the fact that nobody was having fun in the theater and Every time I've gone to a theater with a bunch of teenagers in it, all they do is like yell at the screen. And I think this is a movie where that's acceptable. Okay. Katie. I had so many mixed feelings about this movie and I think we've all talked about why here. Um, but I do want to point out a couple of the good things before we go. I think the score yes. is the best thing about the film. Yeah. John Carpenter brought his like, triple a game to this and i told a friend that i think if the score uh or no if the film had been as good a successor to the original as the score is such a great successor to the original mm -hmm. it would have been an amazing movie That's but true. carpenter takes that original score and develops it for a more modern era and it is so pulsing and atmospheric it Oof, I loved it. It's so good. I love the use of the piano. I, I love it. I, I've been listening to it nonstop. It's it's one of my favorite scores of the year, actually. Cool. Yep. It's it's great. And uh, and I've listened to Carpenter's other music and his regular non scores, and it all kind of has the same feel to it. Uh, but this is a really masterful interpretation. So. And I do think, like we said, the cinematography is good. Um, mm -hmm. And I did want to mention again, Judy Greer gets so much of the shaft in this film. Like she is, her character is so dull and so boring. But then in the final scene, what made it work for me was her. Where you see her kind of let go of all of the, the deprogramming she went through and buy into it. And that poem, that moment was really good. I thought the the women in this film were doing their very best, and I I liked watching it for them. So, and I would give it a six out of ten. Um, I did not expect, after all of the thoughts that were traded on this 
review that I would end up with the lowest score out of 10, but here we are. Um, I give it a four out of 10. I, yeah, like I, and a lot of that, like I said, has to do with, I guess I'm just not a fan of this genre. And that's something, like I said, I didn't really know about myself because let's face it, we haven't really gotten a good slasher movie that really embraces the genre that wasn't a tongue-in-cheek can't be self-aware one like you know like we said like the scream franchise has popularized um at least to my recollection in a a while was the strangers good yeah but like i don't even know if i would consider that slasher in in a sense Uh, i guess so yeah but then again that movie worked for me because i have a fear of home invasions so Mm. um but this though it's just like i said we've talked about it a lot i don't want to like beat it over the head it's just bad dialogue questionable character decisions unnecessary twists um like that thing with the doctor like i don't uh so, that was tiresome so yeah. weird um that's what i mean like it was like ooh, fun twist and then it was like oh never mind <laughs> and you should just shut off your brain for you know an hour and a half and just enjoy it for what it is and i think that a lot of people have done that because a lot of the criticism i've thrown at this movie a lot of people have questioned you know, do you even like the genre? And the answer is, well, you know what? I guess I don't. <laughs> because if if this works for you and these are all the aspects that you want out of a movie like this, then, hey, you know what? Good for you. I think it does it better than others. Let's put it that way, too. So uh, good cinematography, good music, and a decent, not great atmosphere uh, created, you know, through the scares and I did appreciate the thorough line with the three female characters and what it was saying um, as far as Laurie Strode's culmination in this PTSD she's been suffering for 40 years. I, I, I did enjoy uh, those aspects. But yeah, there's a lot of other things in this that were just a complete mess. So Halloween 2018. I don't even know. Like, are we going to now forever just say Halloween 2018 and Halloween 1978? Like, I don't know how we're going to differentiate the two titles, but whatever. I've been saying it's just um, Halloween as the first one and then Halloween yeah. 2018. The first one gets to maintain its original moniker. I All right. right. Fair enough. With that said, Celia, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Films Unstuck. Ryan? You can find me at Ryan C. Showers on Twitter. And Katie? You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Halloween on the Next Best Picture podcast. Halloween 2018. Correction, might I add. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, CastBox, Acast, and now, most recently, on Spotify as well. You can also write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate the feedback. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us, such as we will be reviewing the original Halloween from 1978 here on the podcast pretty soon. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much for listening, and we shall see you all next time. Hello. 
welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.